Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Bellarive. On today's episode, we're talking about native content. A listener reached out to me wanting to know more about native content. What makes good content? What makes bad content? I wanted to find an expert to bring real insight into the topic. And through the amazing Anne Handley, Chief Content Officer at Marketing Profs, she said, I must talk to Melanie Diesel. Melanie is the founder of StoryFuel. StoryFuel consults with brands who are looking to create, optimize, expand their branded content, their processes and practices. She delivers keynotes and workshops that teach marketers and companies how to create the best possible brand storytelling. And I was super excited when Melanie agreed to be on the podcast. Enjoy the conversation. Hi, Melanie. It's great to meet you. Yeah, you too. I'm glad we found some time to chat. Me too. So, Melanie, tell me about yourself. And I, uh, I reached out to Anne Handley and she said, <laughs> this is the girl you need to or the lady you need to talk to. So, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm honored that Anne and threw my name in the ring. Uh, yeah, so my background, I'm, I'm Melanie Diesel. I was trained as a journalist, so I definitely thought I was going to end up in a newsroom as a reporter somewhere, um, but I pretty quickly found that there were not as many of those jobs as there used to be, and I put my skills as a, an interviewer and a, a story miner to work on the brand side of things. So I worked at the Huffington Post, building a team called HuffPost Partner Studio that did all of our content for brands. So anytime you found sponsored content, on HuffPost that was coming out of my team, at least in the 2012 to 2013 range. (laughs) Um, After that, I went to the New York Times where I worked at uh, T Brand Studio, building that team there. Same mission, helping you know brands to create content that sort of spoke the language of the New York Times and would appeal to New York Times readers, so that it was worthy of a place on nytimes.com or in print. So any of that sponsored content living on the New York Times platform was coming out of our team at T Brand Studio. I spent a little bit of time doing similar work at Time Inc. across the 35 U.S. magazines. So, you know, Time Inc. is one of those big companies you may not be familiar with, but you know the brands. So People, Entertainment Weekly, Sports Illustrated, Fortune, all of those were at the time, you know, Time Inc. publications. And then about three or so years ago, I set out on my own and founded Story Fuel so that I could do that same kind of work, working directly with marketers and brands to teach them how to think like journalists and tell better stories. So, wow, those are, that's, uh, those are amazing leaders and certainly people we all look up to for our, um, when we're looking at native or branded content. Tell me, what is it, um, what is it you look for in a, in, a, in a great story or what is it you look for when you're trying to bring a brand out in native or branded content? So, I mean, the, the real key when it comes to native content or brand content, and, you know, maybe we should address, it does go by many names. You know, you may hear it called sponsored content, native advertising, brand content, custom publishing. You know, all of them are sort of referring to the same phenomenon of a brand creating content or co-creating content that lives on a publisher's platform. So on a news website or, you know, a magazine or something like that. Um, but the, the real key is, is two things. It's context is the most important, right? So does this content that this brand is creating or co-creating, does it belong here? Does it live up to the expectations of a reader or a viewer in this environment? So, you know, in an example, if something is living on the New York Times, if it's sponsored content on the New York Times, is it New York Times quality standard? You know, does it have the same level of sourcing or does it look visually how that content should look to a New York Times reader? So context is key. 
And then quality is sort of the other one, the sort of X factor, right? Because even if something fits in particularly well, it still needs to be interesting. It needs to be compelling. It needs to be unique. It needs to have, you know, something that makes you want to keep reading, that makes you curious, that makes you entertained, right? It needs, like any good story or movie or music, you know, it needs something that, that keeps you attracted to it and keeps you invested in finishing it to the end. So I think it's those two things, the quality and then the, you know, the contextual fit is really what sort of set the best brand stories apart, particularly when they're living on a publisher platform. So it is different than, uh, I guess, using a platform to talk about yourself in a way that you kind of need to dig in and find something a little more storytelling, I guess, or... Yeah, I think in most cases, that's definitely true. I think, you know, speaking to that point from before about what's contextually relevant, you know, in most of the publishing environments that we interact with as consumers, you know, if you were to name your favorite blogs and websites and newspapers and magazines, in most of those places, a brand doesn't have a really strong role. We don't expect to hear from brands in that environment as storytellers, more so, you know, as full page ads or or pop-ups or something. But there are some exceptions where actually more branded stories do make sense. So, you know, if you think of the average women's magazine, right? Typically speaking, you're picking up that magazine because you do want to be told what fashion I should be wearing, what, what you know, beauty tips, you know, I need to follow, what makeup I should be using, what hair products I should be using. So in an environment like that, where editorially brands have more of a role, brands are often speaking, right? Brands are often the focus of our stories. It makes a little bit more sense for, say, you know, a makeup brand to come in and say, these are the five uh, eyeliner trends for fall, right? Um, that kind of thing would make sense because I'm looking to this publication contextually for that kind of information. And I trust this brand to give me that kind of information here. Um, that kind of thing in a more, you know, news environment, you know, something like your local newspaper or the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, et cetera you know, brands don't have as much of a role there. So when a brand is showing up in that kind of news environment, then the onus is on them to really try to take a more, you know, a more objective and a less brand focused approach, a less product focused approach to the kind of storytelling that appeals most to those readers. I I imagine a trap that uh, probably your clients fall into or or are tempted to do is, is that idea of, Oh, let's just, um, extol all the benefits of our product or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Can it also go the other way? Can you be a little too soft? Like, is it always that advocate, oh, let's talk about a topic. This is brought to you by something. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, there's definitely, you know, so it's, it's definitely a spectrum, right? So, you know, to your point, you can have this sort of, um, I guess you, you, this is what we would call an advertorial, right? These are sort of, you know, five reasons I'm the best by me. Yeah. Uh, sort of, <laughs> Uh, that that we might be used to in print, uh, that really we would call them just, it's a full page ad that happens to have words instead of pictures. Um, you know, that there's certainly that end of the spectrum that's very much advertising. And then you have the opposite end where you have storytelling that is so unbranded, it's unclear why the brand is there in the first place or what role they're even playing. Mm-hmm. And that can be confusing, you know, for the readers to be sure. But also it's really questionable at that point what benefits it's bringing to the sponsoring advertiser who is, you know, putting in time, money, and other resources to bring this piece to life. So my goal is actually never to push a brand so far to that end that their role is unclear to them or to their readers. We want to find that sweet spot in the middle where it makes sense why the brand is telling the story. It makes sense why they're telling the story here. And as a reader, hopefully, I'm willing to accept this information from the brand because all of those things are in alignment. So, 
you know, you think of some examples, most of us at some point have had to look up a recipe online. And if that recipe happened to be coming from a food brand, we would probably trust that what we were reading was within their expertise, within their area of authority. Mm -hmm. I'm not uncomfortable by the idea of Betty Crocker giving me a cake recipe because she knows all about cake. Like that's what they're about, right? Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is kind of find that sweet spot. What is it that your brand has the authority to talk about so that when readers hear you're telling a story about X, they're comfortable with that idea. Hopefully even more than that, they're excited by that idea because they're getting access to expertise that they can't find in many other places. You know, and we see this kind of thing, particularly when you look at companies that have some sort of celebrity face to them. You look at a company uh, like, you know, or, or a person like Elon Musk, right? So Elon Musk could author, you know, a thought leadership piece in just about any publication and people would read it despite the fact that they know it's coming from a brand perspective, right? That there's probably some sort of company or sales goal behind that because he's a trusted entity and he has an area of authority on certain topics that we're willing to listen so every brand has that, you know, whether they have a celebrity face or not, certain things that they can be trusted on, they can tell stories about. So it's just a matter of figuring out, you know, what are those topics for you, for your brand? And how do we find that middle ground so that it's not purely a sale, you know, purely just sales copy all the way on that advertising end of the spectrum, but not so far storytelling that your brand role has sort of disappeared into the background. So when you're looking at that, I, I love that idea of, you know, what do you have the authority to talk about? Do you then want the brand to bring something of value forward? Um, like if Elon Musk was writing an article, I'd want him to, you know, tell me something that maybe I didn't know uh, in addition to pushing his product. Or Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, trying to figure out what that value is, again, and, and I wish there was sort of an easy answer here, but it's different for every brand. You know, some brands we look to to entertain us. Some brands we look to to educate and inform us. Uh, some brands we look, you know, if you think of... Um, Think of a brand like the FDA, right? Uh, the Food and Drug Administration. This is not a brand we expect to give us funny videos or, you know, a, an entity that we expect to to make us laugh. It's mostly an entity we expect to warn us about danger, right? Or, um, you know, keep us educated and informed on potential health issues. But when you think of a brand like maybe Starbucks or Netflix or Apple, right, they have a little bit more creative freedom to, to not just entertain, not just uh, educate rather, but more to entertain, you know, that we expect a little bit more personality, a little bit more creativity from brands like that. Um, so, you know, every brand is different. So the unique value that they bring, you know, it could be expertise. It could be a new research or a new study. It could be a contrarian opinion, sort of challenging the norm, doing something differently that we like that idea, right? That there's a new option. Uh, it could be that they're just telling a story that hasn't been told before, that I've always wondered what that's like, or I've always wanted to see behind the scenes. I've always wanted to know what that experience is. Um, you know, sometimes just that curiosity factor is enough to get our attention. So you've done, uh, you've, you've certainly seen a lot and, and created a lot of, um, content what what advice would you give a brand that is you know maybe thinking about getting into some native content or native stories yeah i mean one of the things that is really easy to get sidetracked by is choosing a partner and thinking that the biggest partner is the best partner. So what I mean by that is as a brand, when you're creating any sort of partner content, you know, whether you're placing it with a magazine, a newspaper, a blog, something else, 
it's really easy to think that you need to get the biggest possible distribution. You need, you know, what the biggest influence or the biggest magazine, the biggest newspaper. Um, and that's almost never true. You know, having the biggest audience, it, you're going to end up with an audience that's least targeted. And so in most cases, I would encourage brands, you know, Look for those publications, whether it's a magazine, a newspaper, a blog, something else that is capturing your ideal audience, even if you feel it's smaller than the possible audience you could reach elsewhere. Because when it comes to this kind of storytelling, you want people who want to hear your story. You don't want a ton of people who are not interested in your story. Mm. So unless you're going for some sort of mass market, this is for everyone sort of message, you know, as we often find with, you know, car retailers, for example, or financial institutions, everyone needs a bank, you know, um, you probably don't want to go with one of those giant mainstream media publications, those, those massive national newspapers or magazines. You probably want something more niche that fits your exact audience. So, you know, if I were, if I were a company that sells uh, gardening equipment or farming equipment, being in the New York Times isn't going to help me much. How many of those people that read the New York Times are going to be my ideal audience who need to buy a tractor, you know? You mm -hmm. probably want to be in, you know, a more niche magazine for, for farmers, for, you know, specifically for organic farmers. There's probably a blog run by some farm influencer who is like, an, you know, an at-home organic farmer who has all the influence in the world. And they may have less reach, but that, again, that contextual importance, which is so key for making sure you fit in somewhere when you're creating this kind of co-sponsored content, you want to make sure you're in the right place. And often the right place is a smaller place. Uh, but still a better place for your story to be. Would, would you um, have the similar recommendation on the creation side? Like I'm sure, uh, I assume anyway that you would, you recommend someone uh, working with someone that's got a journalism background or able to dig for those stories. Should that person be somehow, an, uh, some have some expertise in, in your sector? Uh, so this can go a couple ways. If you are creating sort of uh, native advertising or sponsored content in partnership with a publisher, in most cases, they're going to either provide or at least help connect you with the kind of talent that's going to tell the stories that fit in their publication, right? Mm -hmm. So say that we have these freelancers or these publishers or these, you know, producers who we work with, who create our style, they know our voice, etc. Um, and those kind of connections are really valuable, again, for making sure that whatever you create with them is going to belong and is going to fit in that environment. So I would always take advantage of creating creators and creator resources that your publishing partner can provide you. If you don't have access to that, or if you're creating content that's just going to live on your own platform, which has tons of value in and of itself, you know, on your own blog, your own website, your own social channels, then absolutely one of the best things you can do is find yourself a former journalist or a current journalist who's looking for a change or a freelancer with journalism experience and get them on board to come tell stories. Um, you know, you can work with them to help define, we talked earlier, you know, sort of your area of authority. What are the types of stories we want to tell, the themes we'd like to tell stories around? And by partnering with them, you're sort of becoming their editor, so to speak, and giving them free reign to go ahead and investigate and find stories and, and uncover interesting angles and perspectives that can be found within your company, within your industry, uh, and within your area of expertise as a company uh, to be able to tell those stories in all different formats. So finding a, a former journalist, I think, is one of the easiest ways to bring those kinds of storytelling skills in-house. And why journalists, Melanie? Do you think, do they have um, a certain skill set that is, is unique? 
Yeah, se several, I think. I mean, one of the biggest challenges when I when I work with marketers, I do a lot of, you know, workshops for corporations, uh, running, you know, workshops at conferences and events on, on brainstorming, on coming up with content ideas. And there are a few common complaints that I hear, um, you know, challenges and struggles. One of them is is always we don't know how to come up with these ideas. We don't know what a good story is. We don't know which content we should be putting out, you know, or, or we're struggling to, to sort of feed the machine to come up with enough content. And I always give the example, have you ever gone to pick up your local newspaper and they just didn't put anything out because there were no stories to tell? <laughs> <laughs> this is a skill set that, that journalists are trained in is always being able to find a story, always being challenged to tell that story in a new way. We are experts at finding experts, right? So being able to find sources and, and people willing to comment and speak out and add new voice and perspectives. We're unafraid to be edited, to be given feedback. We're unafraid to have to start over or try a new angle or try a story in a different way. Um, and I think all of those are really wonderful, not to mention the fact journalists are work used to working under extreme deadline pressure, which makes them really great partners to have when you have a lot of different stakeholders and a lot of tight timelines and maybe legal review and other things that put your storytelling under some confines. So, you know, when you have someone who has a, an innate understanding of good storytelling, a doggedness about them, you know, to, to not stop until they find that story and, and tell it in the right way. And then just a flexibility to, to work quickly, to work under deadline, to work with a lot of different stakeholders. I think it's sort of like the perfect fit to bring those kinds of skills in-house to your storytelling initiatives. They're probably used to editors telling them to rewrite it too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't be precious about your work. <laughs> Is it limited to, um, I guess, we, we, I feel like we're talking a lot about um, printed pieces or I guess uh, online pieces. Sure. Are there other formats or mediums that um, branded content and native advert or native content is going? Yeah, absolutely. Any, any content, any form really. Um, you know, I think when we think of content, many of us spend most of our time reading, right? Whether it's, you know, email marketing or blog posts, articles, things like that. You know, most of the content we see on social is written. Um, but of course, truthfully, any form of content can become branded content or co-sponsored content. So you often see video as a really dominant format. You see, you know, co-created videos popping up all over the place, really engaging, work incredibly well on social. Um, but again, it's just contextual. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen, if you think of a, a publication like BuzzFeed, you know, they're not necessarily known for long, in-depth written pieces the way a news publication like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal is. So when you create sponsored content on BuzzFeed, you're talking about quizzes and gift listicles, right? So those kinds of things, that's what mm -hmm. works well in that context. But there are also sponsored podcasts. You know, I've seen music videos with sponsor integration. I've seen co-created coloring books come out. You know, so there's the, the formats are really, really endless when you think about the ways a brand can tell a story. Um, and if you have any doubts about that, I always remind people uh, the entire Lego movie franchise is an entire branded feature length animated <laughs> film series uh, that not only is branded content with product at the center, but they've somehow managed to get us to pay for tickets to go see it. So you know, the possibilities are, are really endless if you can find that right contextual alignment and you stay within that area of authority. As long as you're providing something of value that your consumers actually want to engage with and consume, then, you know, the possibilities really are endless. I'm the example. My wife and I just watched the Lego movie last night. So. <laughs> <laughs> they're so, good, all of them. Yeah, no, they're fantastic. I want to ask about then sort of that uh, idea of ethics and, and native content and 
Um, you know, is, is that a real concern? Do consumers have um, concerns about being tricked in, in, in some way? Or is this just uh, a made up idea? I think it is a problem that has potential, um, but it's probably more fear-based than actuality. So mm-hmm. to address the, the real problems, look, we, we are currently in an age where there is more consumer skepticism about information than ever before. Um, I hate to give credence to the term fake news, right? It hurts my heart as a journalist, mm-hmm. um, a former journalist, but the reality is our audiences, you know, across the globe, across every platform are very, very skeptical about the information they receive. This means that transparency about whether content is sponsored and what role a brand plays has never been more important. So, you know, it's not in the best interest of a publisher hosting this content. It's not in the best interest of a brand sponsoring it or of the reader consuming it that they be tricked. Nobody wants that, right? The brand has nothing to gain by tricking or disappointing or upsetting uh, a reader. And, and same for the publication. It damages their credibility as well. So what I believe is there's certainly potential for, you know, as there always is for someone to exploit this, to do it the wrong way, to use, use their powers for evil, so to speak. But every brand I've worked with wants to make sure people know that they put the time, resources, and other effort into building this piece, right? They stand to gain nothing if no one knows they did it. Mm -hmm. Um, Every publisher I've ever worked with is very concerned about protecting their relationship with their readers and making sure that the content is transparently labeled and and clearly labeled so that there's no confusion. And every reader uh, that I've talked to has said, yeah, I I take content from brands when it makes sense. I just want to know upfront. You know, and most of the studies that we have, most of the data we look to, confirms all of those things that says brands want to make sure they get credit where it's due for all the hard work they do, that publishers are working very hard to maintain their their trust and their relationship with their readers, and that overwhelmingly, when readers know that content is sponsored up front, they're actually, it's, it's a preferred method for them to get information from, from advertisers. They prefer an article or a video over a pop-up or pre-roll. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd like to have that sort of storytelling experience to gain information via storytelling. They, that's the preferred mode of communication so long as they know where it's coming from. So, you know, yes, of course, you know, as I always say, just as there is uh, bad food and bad music and bad movies, there will always certainly be bad branded content of every variety, right? Um, but I, I do believe that most of us are, are trying to do it in a way that is to everyone's advantage to keep it transparent and to do our best to provide something uh, that's sort of a win-win-win for all three parties. Yeah, I don't really see. I, I mean, in my experience, I haven't seen a lot of bad bad actors out there or bad um, uh, approaches, but you've certainly had more experience in that than I have. You have a great piece of content if I could uh, direct people to it, and that's um, the story idea guide that you have yeah. available on Story Fuel. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so the story idea guide is one, you know, I, I try really hard at Story Fuel to just sort of put together things that I think are going to be helpful for people. Um, you know, Story Fuel, as I said, is we're a consulting and training company. So we run workshops, we speak at conferences, we consult with brands to help them, you know, get their storytelling skills up to par where they want them to be. And so the Story Idea Guide is, it's a PDF, you can download it on the website. Um, 
And, and the goal is just to kind of walk you through that process of how to come up with story ideas, how to feel more confident coming up with story ideas. Uh, and it serves as a precursor to some of the other resources on our site, the more like advanced storytelling brainstorm uh, guides that we have as well. So it's a, it's a great place to start if you feel like you want to work on those storytelling skills, but maybe you're not sure where to start. Well, I know now why Anne Hanley recommended you. So Melanie Diesel, <laughs> Story Fuel, thank you very much for uh, uh, giving us some, some of your insights into uh, Native content. How can people learn more about you or Story Fuel? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me across the web. I'm Melanie Diesel, D-E-Z-I-E-L. I'm very SEO optimized. So if you search for me, I'm sure you'll find me. Uh, Story Fuel, we are at storyfuel.co, so .co. Uh, that idea guide actually is storyfuel.co slash idea guide. You can download that there. Um, we'd love to hear what kind of story initiatives you're working on. I'd love for you to find us and, and join. We actually have a, a Facebook group called the Story Fuel Brand Storyteller Society. So if you, you find that on Facebook via search, let us know how you're working in the brand content industry. Um, and we'll make sure to let you in so you can connect with your fellow storytellers. Thank you again, Melanie. It's been great, uh, great to get uh, to meet you and uh, to hear your ideas. I really appreciate you spending some time with us. Thanks for letting me share my story. Mm-hmm.